Welcome to episode three of the Miyasen Road English Podcast. My name is Mark, and joining me again today are Maurice and Daniel. Say hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. <laughs> hi, guys. All right. In the last episode, we got caught up on the season to date, focusing primarily on the two-faced nature of Byron so far this season. Today, we're going to move on and discuss in large part the Dortmund match and the consequences of that win. However, I will at least mention that earlier in the week, we traveled the 130-ish kilometers to Salzburg. And after a pretty awful first 80 minutes, we decided to flip on the switch and score four goals in 10 minutes. So we ended up winning 6-2 with goals from Robert Lewandowski, who scored two, an own goal that was forced by Thomas Muller. Jerome Boateng would score the match winner, and Sané and Hernandez would get in on the action and finish off the scoring. Then on Saturday, the team traveled up to Westfalia to face Dortmund in what is clearly the biggest Bundesliga match of the season thus far. Bayern would yet again be forced to come from behind as Royce opened the scoring in the 45th minute while appearing to grab a Beval Bay halftime lead. However, right before the whistle blew, Bayern would get a free kick right outside the box and Alaba would score on a deflection to get things level at 1-1 going into the half. The second half started with Bayern really turning up the pressure and Robert Lewandowski would end up scoring three minutes after the restart to put Bayern ahead 2-1. From that point on, things were a bit back and forth and though slightly in Bayern's favor before the 80th minute when uh, Leroy Sané would come on for a who had come on, rather, for a very good Kingsley Coleman, scored to make it 3-1 to one in favor of Byron. A few minutes after that, Erling Haaland would get one back for Dortmund, but that's as close as they would end up getting, and Byron would go on to win 3-2. to two. While this is obviously a big win for Byron, it came at a cost, a very high cost at that. In the 35th minute, Yashu Kimmich, following a very rash attempt to stop a counter by Erling Haaland, overextended himself and hurt his knee. Kimmich, who is not known for his theatrics, was clearly grimacing in pain, and he immediately left the pitch, and the entire Bayern universe, I think, was fearing the worst. Luckily, that injury turned out to maybe not be quite as bad as what we had all expected. It looks like it's a torn meniscus, and he had surgery today, I believe. The surgery seemed to go well. Projections regarding his return are anywhere from six weeks to three months, depending on how quickly he recovers. But that's about where we're going to leave things. And Maurice, where do you want to start this week? Should we start anywhere with Salzburg or do you just want to jump straight ahead to Dortmund? Let's go straight to Dortmund. Let's go straight to the main prize, I think. <laughs> uh, unless, Daniel, do you have anything to say about the Salzburg match? No, not really. It's basically the same game as against Lokomotiv Moscow, just with a better opponent and a better finish. And a way better finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's go to Dortmund. Sure. So, um, I mean, maybe the first thing we should probably talk about is the lineup. Not too many surprises in the lineup, given the uh, injury to Pavard and Sigurd still being absent due to his COVID test. But, I mean, we kind of talked about Saar and the way he's been playing so far this season. And, yeah, he was in the starting lineup. What do you guys think? Were you, like, a little bit scared to see him in the, in the lineup against Dortmund, though? I mean, I didn't really see any alternatives because it, it's clear that the day where Kimmich switches back to right back, whenever somebody's injured, are over. And well, Sar is our chosen right back backup. And so it was clear for me to play. Not only that, but I think that 
before the match there were actually some there was some talk I think to actually play Sara just over Pavar in general even disregarding any injury problems because Pavar really was not performing that well so I wasn't really that sh- scared I was more curious as to how he would perform I think that is a good way a good way to put it I got to say that on the on the German podcast that we co- recorded um, Chris and I were talking about that possibility of playing Sar instead of Pavard. And so I was glad to see Flick give him the chance to start and place the trust in him. And yeah, I, I gotta say, I was not the biggest fan of his, of his game against Dortmund. I think we saw the kind of like the, the level where he maxes out maybe, but also we still have to remember that he's pretty new in the squad. He has not been training with the team for all that long. So I mean, that is maybe some kind of excuse, but he had some, yeah, some really horrendous passes in there, especially in the first half, one of them leading to Kimmich getting injured as well. And yeah, offensively, there wasn't much he ended up doing in the game. And so, yeah, it was really a mixed bag for, for Saar uh, on, that, on that Saturday night. Do you agree, Mark? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And actually, your description of it kind of reminds me of... Uh... You may be familiar with this, Maurice, since you follow the NBA, but there's a uh, stat wins above replacement for (laughs) American sports. And I feel like SARS would very much be right around zero. (laughs) You know, it's like he didn't kill us because we still ended up winning, but he was also kind of irrelevant, except for the bad pass to Kimmich and, you know, maybe a bad pass here or there where we more or less got lucky. The botched header that Giovanni Reina uh, had a chance to score with is probably the worst play of the game that I can think of. But um, I, I don't know if you remember that one, but that was, it was bad. Uh, but in any case, I think I was surprised because I didn't actually realize Pavard was supposed to miss this match. But I think that's exactly what you said is exactly right. This is not the type of match that we're going to expect or anyone should expect Sar to be the starter in. He is clearly brought in to face the lesser opponents, for lack of a better term, that where you know we can get by for a week. And he's perfectly adequate and perfectly fine against them. But when it comes to the big matches, I just don't expect him to be a main-time starter. One quite, quick question for both of you. Since Sula's test did come back ne- negative, why did it take so long for him to get back to reintegration? Because it's not just one test that's supposed to be... Yes. It should be... And, and I get... I think it took Sudo until today to come back and to reintegrate into yes. Bayern's training. And that's only because he had three consecutive negative tests. And that makes sense. But th- that the timing just seems long for that, though, really, even still. I mean, it, I don't really care over caution. I get it. It just strikes me as odd if you get, especially once you get two negative tests in a row, like, but whatever, it happened. Moving on. <laughs> I mean, the COVID tests of Bayern are very strange to me. In the yes. results. <laughs> like Three false negatives. There's, I'm not somebody to go for conspiracy theories, but that's kind of like my inner tinfoil hat. Is well, that's kind of my point to a degree too, because, you know, given that it's taken both Nabri and, and Sula, like they ended up missing about two weeks, anyways. Do we think that they're just po- and yeah? And do we think that they just were positive and they're like, ah, oh, no, they're negative, but they just left them out there anyways. <laughs> I mean, my initial speculation was that they are using these quick tests, which is not supposed to be as precise, 
but are, well, quick. But it turns out they are using the PCR test, which are supposed to be very, very precise. But now they have three false negatives, <laughs> and I'm all very confused. Agreed. Anyways, back to the match. <laughs> Maurice. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think the match started, and it was really obvious what the game plan for Dortmund kind of was. They studied really well what works good against Bayern. And I mean, you don't really have to study it a lot. You just have to watch like two <laughs> or three matches, I guess. Uh, so what they ended up doing was Bayern was pressing up really high up the pitch, just like we used to do. Dortmund went straight to play long balls, looking for Haaland, looking for for other strikers in one-on-one situations, and then just laying the ball off and then p- playing fastball behind our back four. Uh, and I mean, it has been working for a lot of teams recently, and it it was working for Dortmund as well. They did not get the like really really big chances out of it, but they got some like some decent chances out of it. Holland got into some one on ones with Boateng, for example, where well you could kind of see that Holland is like a really incredible physical specimen. He's like superbly fast. He has like an unbelievably wide frame. So like Boateng had like no chance to get to get to the ball once Holland had it. Also Reyna was able to get into some one-on-ones with Saar. And yeah, Bayern just kind of lacked the speed to match them in those one-on-ones time and time again. And that kind of created a little bit of problem for Bayern. But also we got to say that on the other side as well, Bayern was able to 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 create some chances as well. So it, it was kind of an open match. Both defenses weren't, well, equipped to match the offensive output of either team, I think. I'm not completely sure I would agree with that, to be completely honest. I thought Bayern's defensive side was, as a whole, pretty decent, maybe even good. I thought Jerome Boateng played a strong game as a whole. Sure, Alan Holland had his chances, had his moments, but that's just because he's Alan Holland. For Boateng to really completely mark him out of the match, he would need to be his complete old self, and that's just won't happen. I thought David Alaba didn't have his David Alaba moments that he had had this season for basically almost match he played, so that's an improvement. I have more of a problem with Dortmund's defensive lineup. I thought Mats Hummels was problematic, was questionable in basically all goals they conceded. But as a whole, I thought this match was more of a match between two very attacking-minded sides that both care about attacking than they care about defending. And that's how we got this very open game for the entirety of the 90 minutes. And why I think Bayern's defensive side maybe looked a bit more shaky than it really was in actuality. Yeah, I kind of probably am a little bit in between that. I I think there were some problems defensively. I think it was matches like this where we're facing the type of players like Holland and you know, Reyna and Royce and guys and Sancho and guys who can really like, you know, have that speed and can really get in behind. I think we missed in that match, especially with with Holland, both Sula and Davies, because Sula is, well, not the quickest at getting up to speed. He is still pretty fast overall. And he's so big that he he wouldn't be able to be manhandled the way that Alaba and Boateng at times even were both like just physically overwhelmed by what Holland was bringing. And then having Davies speed to, you know, when Holland was getting in behind them, when he was making those quick runs, Davies is very capable of catching up with him or at least, you know, getting to a point where he's 
getting in his head, if you know what I mean. And I think that that to me was clearly missed. I thought Holland had a much easier time kind of bossing his way around the back line when he wanted to. Didn't really mount to a whole lot until that la- that you know last goal in the 83rd minute or whatever. But he still had plenty of opportunities to actually do something. Dortmund's back line, I, I agree. I thought Hummels was a, just pretty atrocious all day. Um, Delaney wasn't very good. I, I thought they were actually much better when they brought on brought in that 17-year-old. I forget what his name is, but yeah. Bellingham. Yeah, Bellingham. I thought he actually looked really good. I, he, it, it really looked like he should have been playing from the get-go, to be honest. But yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I think Lucas Hernandez is, I very much like him as left back. And I also am very much impressed this season by his offensive output. But I'm really now starting to miss and await the return of Alfonso Davies. Yeah. I think he's very much missed in this side. It's not only just his pace, but it's also the way he allows the whole team to play. I think it was you who said that part of the reason of, of Pavard's problems in the past weeks were that Pavard just has to attack too much. And I think there's also maybe a possibility for Bunasar. I very much think that Alfonso Davies, the whole team is kind of missing him. Yeah. And Hernandez, as effective as he is, an attack and we might we will probably talk about uh, Robert Danoski's goal which Hernandez assists but he's still not Alfonso Davies yeah no he he certainly isn't and I I really like the point that you're making that just the way that Davies like complements this team is greatly missed but I just want to make sure that that we kind of like talk about the game that Lucas Hernandez played because to me again he was the superb defender in that game he also had a, a really good offensive output. He had, I think, like three crosses, which were like really, really dangerous. Uh, in the first situation, I think Coleman just missed the header. If there's maybe like Gnabry instead of Coleman there, he, he maybe gets that one in. Uh, then right after the break, obviously, you already mentioned it, Daniel. Um, he has another cross and obviously Robert Lewandowski does a superb job like getting into that header, but... Uh, Still a really great cross. And then just the way that he added some physicality to the game. I like honestly think that Sancho and then later also Hazard were really like afraid of going into any one-on-one situations with <laughs> Hernandez because he was just so so physical, so ready to take on those players. Um, that, yeah, I really think that... Yeah, you could see it with Sancho, who was a complete non-factor, again against Bayern, by the way. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I, I really, really liked uh, Lucas Hernandez's performance. And I, I know you guys would like don't do not, not agree with me on this one. But uh, I just wanted to make sure that we get across no, this point. You're, you're absolutely right. To me, I think Hernandez is the least droppable defender that Bayern have right now. And I don't think that any of us are making that point. I, I just... I guess I'm getting wet dreams from having, you know, Hernandez and Davies sitting over there on the left side of our defense because the way that, you know, Davies played last year and the way that Hernandez is playing this year, it just seems like the two of them would really complement each other well and could really hold down our back line in an excellent way. Yeah, I agree with Hernandez for performance and performances, but I have to point out that his theatrics and his oh, dives really start yeah, to Yeah, they do too. Like every game, yeah, I, I'm I'm super annoyed by that too. I have to say that he's he's like the I don't know he's like the like he's just 
Diego Simeone come alive again on the pitch, and I I couldn't hate it more. I gotta say, but but other than that, I I am completely in love. Um, one more thing that is that is really interesting, and I don't know whether you guys noticed that as well. That both Coman and Gnabry played a lot more in like kind of like a center role this game, mm-hmm. uh, which would have like exploited the flanks or for for the for the fullbacks to to come in and kind of like dominate that. Yeah, well, the the, the offensive uh, flanks, but due to Hernandez and Sar not being that available or like both not that offensive minded, that did not really work out maybe as Flick would have imagined. And obviously, if if Davies comes back, like like we said, that could just make make the difference. If if we see Gnabry and Coman again, just kind of like playing more of a central role and not so far uh, on the outside then we would have that space that davis needs to to get in his like runs and his dribblings i have another quick question for you guys on on that kind of on that note it stuck out to me that they kind of switched sides in this match do, do you think that was better worse i mean I, I think that's part of the reason that they started going more centrally because you know when your strong foot is with your inside foot then it tend to make you move more in but what do you guys think i think it might have been a tactical change because meunier against gnabry is just a mismatch a mismatch whereas rafa guerrero is not a mismatch against any Bayern player although he's not that much known for defensive work but because guerrero is just a more attacking minded player i think flick maybe wanted to catch dortmund on the wrong foot and Coman being the fastest of the attacking players and being faster than Gnabry as a whole might have exploited that more against Rafa Guerrero. Although I'm not completely sure that that ever happened. <laughs> you know, that is that is a good point. I think that might have been the plan of, of Hansi Flick, trying to force Guerrero kind of to stay back just because of the threat of Coman getting in those speedy runs. It didn't really work out all that great, especially late in the game when Guerrero really started to to uh, turn it up. But yeah, no, that, that might have been the plan. And let me just add one thing while we're on the topic of, of Kingsley Coman. I got to say, I really, really liked him in that match uh, against Dortmund. I think that was one of the better, if not one of the best performances he put in for Bayern because he was everywhere on the pitch. He's playing with a lot more confidence than he has been in the past. And that might be to the fact that he scored in the Champions League final, obviously, but also that he kind of like regaining that trust into his body. Um, and I think that is just really important for him. And we saw it kind of like with that one situation where like beginning of the second half, I think he kind of gets the ball in front of the box and there's not really any player open. And in the past, we would have seen him like, I don't know, like go for a ill-advised dribbling or like try some crazy pass or something. And he just decided, no, I'm going to shoot this ball. And it is actually a really good shot. Just comes off the post. But I like this confidence. And then also he really got back on defense, had some crucial tacklings there as well. I got to say, I was I was madly in love with Coleman in that game. I was also very much impressed. I was so disappointed when Robert Danowski's first offside goal was given offside. And not because Bayern wouldn't have uh, led or equalized. I think it would be in the 1-0. But because I think the sequence of play was just so phenomenal. Because Dortmund were pressing them high. Jerome Ting opens up play with a ball that seems to be this kind of uh, blind ball into the middle, but it's actually not a blind ball. And 
Kumar, who, who's then pressed by Mats Hummels of all people, so a very good player, controls it perfectly, beats Mats Hummels, and is then creates this whole play, which results in this offside goal, which is just offside for a few millimeters. But the whole play only exists because of Kumar's very good ball control, which is something we haven't really seen in the past months or years even. Yeah. We very much see this heightened confidence level. Yeah, here. and that, that's kind of my what I was really intending with that question is: Should we see this more? Should Coman be on the right and Nabri on the left? I mean, you know, I thought both of them at times. I mean, Nabri wasn't like a standout in this game, but I thought I think it provides them with opportunities to influence the game more directly at times. I think that is the good thing about both of those players. And then even if you put in a Leroy Sané later, or even Douglas Costa for that matter, um, they can somewhat play on both wings and it doesn't really matter. I mean, each of them has like a favorite position on the pitch, don't get me wrong here, but you can still switch them out and even throughout the game. And that just creates a whole new level of uh, confusion for the defense as well. And yeah, you can kind of like pick your pick your battles, and that's what that's what Daniel said. Like, let's get let's get uh, Gnabry to work on Munier and have Coleman kind of like tie Guerrero back. Um, and then if that doesn't work, you can still switch it up. And it 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 worked out in this game, but in the next game it might be different. So I think it's really good that we have this added flexibility on the wings. Sure. I like the fluidity of the attack that we're past the times where it's clear that we have one left winger, Franck Ribéry, and one right winger, Arjen Robben. So I like that all the attacking players that Bayern have, from Serge Gnabry to all the way to Jamal Musiala, can play on both sides. But I do think that whereas Serge Gnabry, he's a left and a right winger, and Leroy Sané is a left and a right winger. With Coman, I'm usually not that impressed when he plays on the right. He was fantastic here, against Dortmund because I think uh, of this mismatch of the tactical um, musings with uh, getting him up against Rafa Guerrero and Mats Hummels who is very much not a fast player but in general when he plays on the right he still has this type of game in him where he just dribbles past the player and crosses it whereas I think on the left he dribbles past the player gets his head up passes maybe shoots and so on so and therein lies the contrast to Serge Gnabry who even on the right-hand side, where you would think that it would be more difficult for him to shoot, he always tends to turn his body in a way where even when when he comes in from the right-hand side, he can get a perfect shot with his strong right foot. So I do think that usually when there are no technical musings that Coman should play on the left and then Serge Gnabry or Lyorsoni on the right. Makes sense. Yeah, no, that is... That is that is definitely a good point. Let's get back to the to the flow of the game a little bit here. And so, I mean, right after the break, I, we already talked about it. Bayern gets ahead two one by Lewandowski, and then in the 60th minute, Dortmund brings on Bellingham for Delaney, as you already pointed out, Mark. And I I really feel like you could take this point, and you can see that Dortmund kind of starts getting more and more control of the match. Um, and I think, to me, yeah. that has to do with with two things. So, in the beginning of the match, Dortmund was playing a really clear 4-2-4 system with a kind of like Witzel and Delaney kind of like playing in midfield, and then all the other strikers being like far up ahead on, on the pitch. And so there wasn't really a clear midfield for Dortmund. They were playing a lot of long balls. I think I read somewhere they played 70 long balls throughout the match, with which is like 20 above their season average. So they would just skip midfield and just go straight for the attack. 
Um, and I mean, in the beginning, Bayern had a lot of possession, then Kimmich gets injured. So we're kind of like losing that controlling midfielder. And so there was not really a, a, a midfielder uh, on the pitch anymore who was like this ball dominant midfielder. And I really feel like as soon as Bellingham came, came on, you could see this this like difference because Bellingham made a lot of like smart runs, a lot of like smart movements. He was really clever with the ball and bit by bit kind of like Dortmund managed to get a little bit more control of the match and create more and more uh, chances which made it which made it hard for 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 Bayern to yeah kind of like get out of that defensive minded approach um that they were kind of like pressured into i don't know if you agree or if you have anything to add to that yeah i agree i we're not a Dortmund podcast but i would once again be if i was a Dortmund fan i would once again be dissatisfied with Lucien Favre's coaching especially with the with his choices of who to play i think thomas laney had a an ineffective game at best he was i mean he was there but i don't think he did very much i was surprised that he didn't play mamuta who i thought was very good in the past weeks or jude bellingham and the way the game unfolded very much well favored my uh, surprise or, or, or my critique here because Bellingham was actually very good and he was very effective. When Bellingham came in and Bayern was not play, was playing without Kimmich the entire time, they really they didn't take control of the game because Bayern was too good for that. But they gave Bayern much more of a headache. And in this and in between Bellingham's between Bellingham coming in and about the seventy fifth minute, I thought they really they gave. Bayern a very not a run for this money, but a very tough game. I agree. I I don't really have a ton to add to that. <laughs> One thing I would like to add is because of those those long balls by Dortmund, we could really see again that Manuel Neuer is just back to being that great player oh, that he that he once used to. Yeah. I mean there were like two or three counterattacks by Dortmund where he was just playing 30, 40 meters up the pitch. And just like clearing those balls yeah. with with a header or by just controlling the ball with his foot, and it is just—I mean, it it just cannot be emphasized enough how important it is to have such a goalie in in the back line. He just makes a difference because otherwise, some of those counterattacks would have ended up in like a one-on-one situation with like Holland or Reina facing Neuer one-on-one, uh, -on -one, and he just takes those chances away, and that is that is so important and. Also, even if Dortmund got, got through and they had the opportunities to score, I really believe that especially some of the younger players at Dortmund were just straight up afraid of him. And they were like, just he just gets into their mind, I think. And they think a little bit more than they normally do. And on this level, in such a close game, that just makes a difference. And so just another great game by Manuel Neuer. Uh, I completely agree with that. I uh, I think I joked during the match on Twitter that It, we basically have a third center back with Neuer and, and it's an important center back to have too, because I mean, realistically we have someone who's always back there and having him there who can come in. And if someone does get beat on occasion, as long as it's possible, he will go and clear that, that mess up. And that's, I mean, not many teams in the world can say they have that in a goalkeeper. One Another comment on the mental side of things. It just struck me in that match, especially after the Alaba goal and maybe even more so after Lewandowski's goal in the, you know, three minutes after the half. I felt like Dortmund really started like 
it seemed like it was a really huge mental blow to them. Like, I, I feel like they thought, you know, with Kimmich going down and, you know, Royce getting that goal a few minutes after that, that they, I felt like they thought that maybe this was their chance to finally get over the Bayern barrier, if you know what I mean. And when Alaba scored right before halftime and and Lewandowski comes back and grabs another right after the half, it seemed like it really deflated them to me. Like I, I never was really too worried about that match after that point because Dortmund themselves just looked defeated in a way. I mean, not that they stopped trying, not that they, you know, weren't out there playing, you know, and trying to do things, but it just looked like they visibly just kind of went down a notch. You guys think the same or am I making too much out of it? I mean, I originally wanted to talk about the metal sides, but later, but but now that you have brought it up, yes, I very much think that. I mean, I usually very much hate to be this football pundit and say it's the mental side of things, it's the mentality. But I feel Dortmund really they have a tendency to to really have these mental, not mental problems, but uh, mentality problems. And sudden bursts of total self-consciousness where they don't really believe in themselves. And the weird thing is that even their so-called, or that there should be leading figures tend to then make uh, mistakes. I was talking about uh, the first of cycle of Lewandowski, which basically starts by Marco Reus not committing to, to pressing Bayern. You rightfully criticized Mats Hummels entire game, and he should be basically the vice-captain of the team. Axel Witzel, I thought, was also very much... He had more of a Thomas Delaney game than a Jude Bellingham game. So these are the three leaders of the team who very much, I thought, had problematic performances. And in contrast of Bayern, Neuer, fantastic performance. You just talked about him, and I wanted to, to second both of your thoughts and just point out that it's... I think it's important to keep in mind with Manuel Neuer, it's not normal what he does. It's not normal that whenever a ball comes through... He comes out, he's standing there outside of the camera angle of the TV stations and then he just picks it up and and immediately starts the counterattack. It's not normal that when Gio Reyna shoots from about 12 meters away or like 10 yards away, Manana doesn't even clear it to a corner, but he just picks it up with his hands, has it firm and immediately can start a counterattack. It's, not, it's very much not normal. Manana is, he's back to basically his best form and that's fantastic. And then when we're talking about the leading figures, what Lewandowski, it's it's a big game and Lewandowski is just there. Mm. And he performs. And he very much, he scores three goals, only one of them stands. And the, and the one that stands, it's, it's, a, it's a sensational goal where he beats one of the best defenders of the league from an almost impossible position. Yeah, yeah. I, I That was kind of, I feel like with their leaders, their so-called leaders, Royce, Hummels, some of the guys that have been there longer, it's actually more prone for them. And I, I just expect that they're going to have a bit of a, you know, mental block when it comes to Byron. They've faced Byron so many times. They've had so many, you know, things go against them that way. The younger players, unfortunately, it looks like it's kind of bleeding into them. Like you can not so much Holland. I think Holland and Guerrero both played excellent in that match. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that, but Apart from that, I, I thought everybody else kind of like, I don't know, they seem to shut down a little bit. Sancho has never done anything against Bayern that I can remember. And, you know, Royce 
rarely has good games. Reyna was okay. I mean, I, I didn't really see a whole lot out of him other than that mistake from Sar. And, you know, I just don't, I never see anything from that team that makes you really scared once you get, once you get a lead against them or once you like knock them back one time, they just seem to fold. You're saying all these things and I agree with all those things, but I still think that Dortmund played a very good game overall yeah. as a team. And the whole the whole game, the whole matchup was Dortmund. There were so many one-sided uh, games between these two sides that I thought that this was basically the best that we've had in years. I thought this might have been the best Bayern versus Dortmund game we've had since the Pep Guardiola versus Thomas mm-hmm. Tuchel days. And yet I still kind of go through Dortmund's team and have a problem with almost everybody yep. in that team. You mentioned Sancho. It's amusing because Jane Sancho is, a, is, uh, is by now it's pretty clear that he's a bigger talent than like Usman Dembele. But Jane Sancho never did anything. Has never done anything against Bayern. Whereas Dembele did have his, his moments. Yeah. To me, this game is actually pretty similar to the game that we saw two years ago being played in Dortmund with Niko Kovac being a head coach at Bayern. Uh, Bayern lost two to three in that game. And honestly, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying, but let me just ask it maybe this way. If this game is played in front of 80,000 people in front of the infamous yellow wall, do you think Bayern wins this game? I would be really interested yeah. in your take. I really do. I think they. Go ahead. I think they might win it, but I definitely think they will never lose this game. Whereas the game um, that you mentioned, they lost it and they lost it convincingly. They were supposed to lose it and they and they deserve to lose it. Whereas here, I did feel that it's a it's a toss up between a a draw and a Bayern win. Yeah, I, I agree. I would maybe go so far as to say that while that you know black and blue wall that you mentioned certainly affects the Bayern players and affects the match, it also puts more pressure on Dortmund in a way too. And I don't think it changes the fact that I mean, let's face it, we've seen Bayern go to Dortmund plenty of times and win. It's not like you know Bayern's not afraid of going there to play. I mean, it's just another big match for them. They that's why they are at Bayern is to go play in big games against big teams with a lot of fans and, you know, that pressure and that, you know, excitement that you get. And I just think for whatever reason, and I, maybe it'll change in a few years if they can, you know, hold on to some of these younger players, because I think that they want to break that mold. But I I just think while Hummels and Royce are, you know, two of your, you know, main players there, there's just a mental block and it, it, to me, it, it just shows every time that there's any type of adversary, ad- adversity. rather. Akivatsky might not like to hear this, but I actually think this Dortmund side might be better without the fans than they are with the fans. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of something Mats Hummels had said last year when they were trailing at halftime to SC Paderborn at home and the entire stadium went quiet out of sheer disappointment. And Hummels had said that this actually helped the team because they now could hear each other, could concentrate on the game. And... In the end, they they equalized their game. They play three three, and I think the pressure of eighty thousand people screaming at you is just more of a hindrance right now to them. I dis I disagree a little, but I mean I I just gotta say every time Bayern plays in like a in like a close match, I get like really nervous. I get really anxious. So <laughs> for me, like playing against Dortmund in a in a full stadium, 
I could have really seen this game also go a different way, especially after that early goal by Royce or after that 2-3 goal by, by Haaland. But by now, I, I, I get your point, and maybe that is that is a good point to to wrap up talking about the Dortmund game and talk about... Uh, one thing, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but I did say this, and I very much still stand by this, but I think maybe it, it should be pointed out, and, and maybe I also kind of forget it, that Bayern was allowed to play the second half that they played because they scored that fairly lucky equalizer in the 45th minute. So maybe if Dortmund gets the lead and doesn't give up the lead at the end of the first half, then we maybe do get into territories where Bayern could lose this game. I agree with that. It's just that they got lucky with the whole Alaba free kick. I completely agree. So I think this wraps up the Dortmund game pretty well. And let's talk about the big storyline leading out of that game. And that is obviously the terrible injury suffered by Joshua Kimmich, which, fingers crossed, so far looks like it is not that bad of an injury as it looked in the first second, uh, where we were talking about like torn MCL, ACL, whatever, which would have sidelined him maybe for the rest of the season. Right now, it looks like he's only out for maybe three months. But yeah, where do we go now? I mean, we were both, or we all were pretty conclusive that we said Kimmich is the one player we cannot lose. And now we've kind of like lost him to an injury. So what is the way out here, guys? Well, there are a couple options. Uh, the first option is that Flick now has two weeks, uh, one and a half weeks, to implement Marco Roca into this Bayern system to really get him up to speed with Bayern's game, his positioning, which he had criticized before, and that we then have this second um, ball-playing midfielder. What I think will happen is, at least at the beginning, is that we'll see more of the double pivot between Goretzka and Kronto-Torisso, which thus far had kind of had mixed results. At times it was very good. At times it was kind of bad. I do think that we'll see it more often. Uh, Torisso being the more creative midfielder and Goretzka still being more of this uh, box-to-box player. Yeah, and that's the two obvious and logical options. Maybe once January hits, maybe Thiago Dantas can become an option, but that's two months in the future. An outside alternative to all of this would be to use the fact that we have many centre-backs, that we have an abundance of centre-backs, and playing two right-footed centre-backs at the back and then start David Alaba in the middle, fulfil his dream <laughs> to become a midfield, a midfield player and really try him out there. Because Bayern, there were always a few minutes here and there where David Alaba got minutes in midfield. But now it's really the one opportunity for him to really maybe prove himself. And I very much expect to at least see that for like in half an hour here and half an hour there. And see if Araba can get up to speed. I'm kind of skeptical, but I think that's not a possibility. I uh, I am not as hopeful as you are on that front. I don't think I see Hansi Flick using him in that position a whole lot. I do agree that I think the vast majority, especially in important games, so to speak, that Goretzka and Toliso, at least for the time being, will be the first option. I do think that we will start to see Mark Roca um, at least get opportunities in you know, maybe those places where Toliso previously were was getting chances. One person that maybe, you know, is in a bit of an outlier here, but perhaps um, Nyanzu gets a chance as in that position as well a little bit. I, I don't know exactly. I saw he was 
back training today. I don't know if that's something that is possible for him, but it's just an, just another like potential like maybe maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I think if you played Nianzu over Alaba in midfield, he might just go on a yeah, rampage. Well, I think I, I, I think we're about might... at that point anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> My thoughts that maybe playing Alaba in midfield was very much combined with the thoughts of then of Nianzu coming back and become a, another option. I don't think that we'll see Nianzu playing in midfield over uh, Alaba. That would and be let very... me be clear: I'm not opposed. I'm actually not opposed to Alaba playing in midfield. Like this isn't me like hating on Alaba or like not you know thinking that he's completely incapable of playing the position. I just have this thing where I don't think that Bayern want to do that. Like I don't think they want him thinking that this is. An option for him and I don't think Hansi Flick like really favors him in that position. I have little to say about Tanginia Zoo because I don't really know the player but looking at, at his uh, profile he's a very physical player a very tall player he doesn't exactly strike me that much of a midfielder as Daud Alaba is who's more of a nimble player who is uh, speedy. Sure. I think Nianzu is more, is more of the midfielder in the style of Javi Martinez back when he was in his prime and I don't really think that we need this kind sure. of player. We need a well, a Kyoso Kimmich, and not a Jaime sure. Martinez. Fair enough. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a great chance for Hansi Flick to get a little bit creative there. I think for for central midfield, I think you guys did a great job laying out all the options that he has. Uh, I still think the most likely one is just going to be playing Talisa and Goretzka, um, and I think that's what we're going to see for probably like seventy five percent of the time. But I also think that he'll give Alaba a shot uh, a shot here and there. Uh, we've seen him throw in Alaba for like 30 minutes or like maybe like 20 minutes against, was it Cologne? I think against Cologne, yeah. yeah it was um, and so we know that he is not like completely opposed. And as we've mentioned numerous times now, I mean, Hernandez and Davies are looking like it could be a great uh, way to play in the back four. So putting Alaba in midfield would open the door for that as well. So, yeah, we, we'll just have to wait and see what, what Flick actually does. Um, but, I mean, all those things said, we will still really, really miss Joshua Kimmich. Uh, I don't think even David Alaba can match him in what he brings to the table. Just his spirit, for one thing, but then also his ability with the ball, his abilities against the ball, his awareness on the pitch. And I think that is especially one of the things that we're going to miss, uh, where Alaba just does not even come close to Joshua Kimmich, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, just the awareness of everything that is going on around him. And in in midfield, you just kind of need that 360-degree view and awareness. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that is just so important. Yes. That has been my... No problem, but my skepticism towards Dout Alaba as a midfield player for like years. Because Dout Alaba, I don't, I don't think Dout Alaba is a 360 degree player. I think he very much is this 180 player, where, where he doesn't, he doesn't have the view or this ability to scan things around him and, and behind him. Totally agree. And that's why I always felt that his calls to play midfield was kind of displaced. That he should very much remain at left back. The Dal Alaba who's playing now, I think there's more of a shot for, of him succeeding in the field than, than the Dal Alaba who had been playing at left back for years. Mm. Still, I'm, I still I remain skeptical because I do think that there are some problems with him. I mentioned the 360 degree thing. Uh, there's also the problem that he has no right foot, <laughs> and you need to be somewhat of a. Um, to foot a midfielder to succeed a midfield 
I know James was kind of okay, uh, was good at Bayern, but his inability to do anything with his right foot was very much a hindrance to him and not a, not anything for him. It's more common in attacking players just in general, yeah. right? So, I mean, yeah. let's uh, discuss a little bit of like the, um, the tactical side of things because regarding just assuming that Goretzka and Tolisso are going to be the options in midfield, I mean, I thought the Dortmund game was kind of a good, like when Tolisso came on was like, I don't think they were necessarily horrible, but I also felt like Bayern were clearly just skipping the midfield and build up play. Like it, it, it went from, you know, when Kimmich's in there to him being the distributor, him, you know, really leading the, the, the attack or at least starting out the attack. And as soon as, he was replaced by Tolisso, I I just felt like everything was either down the wings or over the top. Like there was just nothing going on in the midfield. And I'm worried that that could be a problem. Like basically, I mean, that's a worry all the time, right? I mean. It it, it totally is, Mark. Um, And it, I kind of got to say it like when I, when I talked about Dortmund earlier, I said that they kind of like played this four, two, four system without like a clear midfield, like, the, the offensive players kind of seemed a little disconnected from, from the rest of the team. And that's kind of what Bayern ended up looking like a lot of uh, the second half. And it was, you have a lot of, a lot of uh, verticality in those games or in, in, the, in, in Bayern's build play. If you play with uh, Goretzka and Tuliso and less of like an actual buildup, less of like a pass-heavy ball control offense. And I think that is what we're going to see a lot Um with Goretzka and Tolisso on the pitch, because I don't really see who of those two players should take on the role of like being the more more Kimmich version of those two, because also it kind of like robs them of their greatest strength, because both Tolisso and Goretzka are just always a threat for being like this late, like this player who's, who starts late and then just overfills kind of like the opponent's box and scores goals that way. And if they have to play in the build-up play more, if they have more involved there, that kind of robs them of that strength as well. So, yeah, look forward to not as much of fluidity in the Bayern game, I guess. That is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Yeah, as a rule of thumb, I would say that two box-to-box midfielders just doesn't work usually. Usually you have one guy that is then needs to sit back and one guy wants to attack and then the one up front doesn't get the ball and usually two box-to-box midfielders is one too many in my experience. I guess I'm wondering if, so I felt like in that match, like they were kind of, and it makes sense, just stepping on each other's toes the whole time. Like one would stay back thinking the other was going forward and then they'd both stay back. One would go forward and the other one would kind of just get lost in nowhere. I thought they did a lot of defending in that match, which it probably makes sense in a lot of respects, given that, you know, for large portions of the second half, it was Holland trying to, you know, as I mentioned earlier, basically bosses way past that back line. But I just, I feel like Goretzka is the natural option in terms of like semi taking on the Kimmich role, if you want to say that way. But knowing neither one of them are certainly really capable of that long term. And it'll be interesting to see for me to see how they like, if Hansi Flick can kind of get one of, get them to understand like how to play with each other a little bit better where they're not really like just constantly on top of each other or, you know, hindering the other one. All right. So we're going to move on to a new segment um, after we've kind of 
covered the entire Kimmick impact. In this segment, we're going to, we haven't come up with a name yet. If you guys want to help us out, we're, we're going for something along the lines, something with triple or treble or, you know, something like that in there because it makes sense this year. But we're each going to give a, either pose a question to the rest of us and and see what we all think, or we're going to give a little article or just a little tidbit that maybe caught our eye, that sort of thing. So I'm going to start it off. And it caught my eye, and I think it's caught everybody's eye. It's not new. It's certainly been rehashed a million times. But once again, Yogi Love and Oliver Bierhoff decided to go on their little rant about how Matt Hummels and Jerome Boateng and Thomas Muller are not needed in the national team. And while in some ways, I think as a Bayern fans, we actually almost ought to be grateful because then, hey, both Boateng and Muller are getting extra rest this season when they probably can use it. It's still just a completely bizarre decision to me to rule them out and to discuss the fact that they, you know, act like they don't need them in the team and that they basically would have no place. While at the same time, Bierhoff today said that they would be starters if they came in. It's just utterly bizarre to me and I, it will never make sense to me why they are so adamant on keeping them out of the team. So in any case, that's just my thing. Maurice, you want to go next? Sure, I do. And I, I have a little question for you guys. So if you could choose a Dortmund player from the current Dortmund squad to insert into the Bayern team, who would you go with? Rafa Grillo kind of makes sense for right now because because Alfonso Davies doesn't play, but because we have Lucas Hernandez, I wouldn't choose him. I would choose a player who, as we had mentioned a few times, we believe hasn't done anything ever against Bayern. I would choose Jaden Sancho. <laughs> Just because he, he could... It goes contrary to everything we said, but I still like it. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I know. I know. So it's, it's, it's very, it's very funny. But considering you never can, you can never get enough attacking players. And I mean, this season alone, we already had two or three games where Thomas Müller was again playing on the right hand side. So I think you can never have enough attacking around us, attacking players, attacking wingers. So I just choose Sancho and hope that this time that he would actually perform. And I mean, yeah, at least wouldn't have to play against Bayern anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I had a thought about this, and I think the obvious answers I think for a lot of people would be either Holland or Sancho. I mean, with Robert Lewandowski, I don't think we need Holland. I mean, it would be a great fit long term, probably, but. Right now, I, I'm thinking more in terms of midfielders and those problems that we have. And maybe Billingham might be an interesting option for Bayern. I mean, I like the way he played. I, I Him or Witzel, to me, are the two options there. And I, I would take my chance on the younger player. But, I mean, I also thought about Guerrero. To me, Guerrero kind of is a little surplus to need just because of Davies and Hernandez and, and Alaba at the moment. But... I mean, he was obviously great in the last match, so it's hard to, you know, not say him in a way too. But yeah, I, I think I'll go Billingham. After your point uh, about uh, the national team, I'm just glad you didn't say Mats Hummels. Me is an old podcast. Always the Mats Hummels shitting fest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what we're here for. <laughs> Okay, Daniel, what is your what is your? Hey, wait, you aren't prepared? you gonna give a little uh, 
Maurice? Oh, oh, right. Uh, I was, I was actually going to go with Rafael Guerrero. No matter that we don't really need him, but I just, I just love him as a player. I think he played another really good game against Bayern. He, he assisted both goals, both Dortmund goals. He can also play center midfield, guys. So maybe he would be a solution there. He's, he's just a good player, and you can never get enough good players on a team. My point was originally a rant about Dortmund being a bunch of losers and not having the fatality. <laughs> and that one ruined it for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but because we already had the segment about the mentality thing, I wanted to ask you, what do you think Dortmund is missing to become, to reach the level that Bayern has? Let me make this plain and simple. They need a better coach. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of preposterous to say, as uh, Lucien Favre has the best point average of any Dortmund coach in the history, but he also has one of the best Dortmund teams in history. So it is like maybe not that hard, and I could really see them playing a whole lot better if they were coached by someone who is a little bit more innovative and a little bit more, well, who trusts his players with a little bit more, I guess. I don't know. I agree with that. I'm going to go a different route since you took that one. And I think they need better leadership in their team. I think that, you know, I kind of touched on it earlier, but I just don't think, especially Royce, I've, I I don't like picking on the guy. But, I mean, he just really, I feel like he really has this mental defeat against Bayern for some reason. And it, I think the entire hierarchy in the team there just really does. And the younger players, I think, I think they need some new blood in there to kind of give them some belief in, you know, what, when they're facing Bayern. I think that's a big part of it. Also, consistency yeah. within the squad probably couldn't hurt either. Yeah. The funny thing about Royce is, despite my criticism of him, I mean, your criticism of him, he also scored that opening goal. And that goal only only comes because of his yes. shot from that position. And that's in the way his body was positioned. You don't usually score, but he had the one finish that Manuel couldn't save. And he chose that finish. So despite all these things, he still has these well, Marco Reus oh, yeah. moments. And he's, no, he's also the leading player. goal scorer in the Bundesliga against against Manuel Neuer, I think. But to the point that you just made, I, I, re I, I really think that is true. But also a few minutes later, Royce had the ball at like the five, like five yards away from the goal. And he opted to go for like a similar shot. And in, like he, he had way more time than that. And he just like took an unnecessary risk. The ball sailed high above the crossbar and you could have just been way smarter with that and maybe get a goal in there as well so i don't know he he i'm i'm kind of torn on marco royce i think he has been one of the best wingers that germany has had in the in, in like recent history but yeah i don't know i'm i'm really torn i'm really torn he it would have been a really great career if he wouldn't have gotten injured so much and it would have been amazing to see what he could have achieved but i mean a lot of woulders could have so yeah i don't know <laughs> i feel like a lot of what i'm saying is very specific about how he plays against byron too like i'm not knocking him as a player completely i think he's a very very good player like i'm not you know really trying to kill him as a as a player but i just think mentality wise all of the you know older players there and the people who are supposed to be the leaders of that team just have this big mental block with Bayern. Yeah, and also thing about the leadership is what I think is problematic is that all these young players that play and perform after a certain point they don't really have to perform that well because they are only thinking about the next step they're having. Like Jaden Sancho, his transfer saga was infamous this year, and it's pretty clear that he will go that that he will leave Dortmund probably next year. So. 
I do think that's kind of problematic for this whole side that there are players that should be the main players, the main starters, but they don't really feel that they have to perform. Do, do we also think that along those lines that that causes problems with, you know, like the other players, they know that they don't have to really deal with them as a personality too, if you know what I mean. Like there's no leadership thrust upon those players because they know, hey, this person's going to be gone. Why, why do we care what they say or think? I think you can't be a selling club and also win yeah. things. Like both of these things, they don't mesh. But Dortmund wants to be both of these things. They want to sell Pulisic for an absurd amount of money and Dembele and next year probably Sancho. But they also want to challenge Bayern. They want to win the league. And honestly, they should win the league. If this side doesn't win the league and it looks like it won't, they will never admit it because they will say, oh, Bayern has such a good team and Bayern always gets so many points. But that's a failure. Plain and simple. It's a failure not to win the league against especially Niko Kovac. Yeah. Tune in next week again at Mewson Road when your fate when we discuss <laughs> Borussia Dortmund for 40 minutes. We'll have a 30-minute segment just on Matt Tummels. Oh god, don't get me started. I just uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that wraps it up really nicely. We're now heading into an international break. I think Germany is set to play three matches, if I'm informed correctly. How many of those matches are you guys going to watch? That's maybe like last question. It sounds weird and stupid, but I probably w will watch all three Ouch. of them. Ouch. <laughs> 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 You're glutton for punishment. I, I'm, I will probably... I will pay attention to the score for all three, probably, as they're going on. But I will probably only end up watching maybe two out of the three. And even that's more, as long as, it, it, it's probably contingent on me not actually having anything else to do. <laughs> the things Grace. that COVID forces us to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly don't know myself. I, I mean, i probably want, trying to catch, like, two of the games. Probably watching the game on, on Wednesday for sure but yeah i don't know it'll be interesting to see hopefully all of our players stay safe and return back yes. healthy hopefully flick gets in some good practice sessions with all the players coming back and all the players like get a nice good rest and yeah then we'll talk to each other maybe next week at the latest in two weeks i would say and so yeah so that's it from me so long have a great week have a great international week yeah goodbye guys bye bye